Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are All right, I want to read to you a passage. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 3. If you can open your Bibles, can you do that with me? Can you open your Bibles in 2 Kings chapter 3? And um, I think the best thing for you to do is to follow along with me. If you can't follow along with me, you could read it on the screen with me. But I want you to follow along with me because I've seen the beauty of uh, God's Word is sometimes as you're reading it, like I read it the other day in the morning, um, the Lord just started speaking to me, and I had to stop, and I had to really just take a moment and spend the rest for, for a while just on this passage. So let the Word of God minister to you um, before we ever, we ever give a point or two or three. Let the Word of God be the Word of God. Have, and you've seen that here on Sundays where sometimes we just read it and we're like, really, we could just leave today because the Word of God in itself preaches for its own, doesn't it? But, you know, as pastors and stuff like that, we come up here and we try to give a some sort of like breakdown so you could understand it or you could re- apply it into your life. But the Word of God does it for us, really, if you want to be honest with it, um, with each other. All right, let's read together. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Check this out. It's such a, it's so amazing. It's pretty long, but it's going to be fun. It says this. If I get names pronounced wrong, don't judge my theology. It's just names. <laughs> okay, don't, don't, <laughs> oh, his theology is wrong because he, he pronounced a city wrong or a name wrong. Forgive me for not knowing how to pronounce all the names wrong. My name in itself, I still haven't figured out how to say my full name. All right? You know, so, so let's just do this. Here we go. It says here in verse 1, chapter 3, 2 Kings, it says, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab. Everyone say Jehoram. Now you said it wrong too, probably. All right, here we go. <laughs> Amen. The son of Ahab, he became king over Israel at Samaria at the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. So we have two kings that are presented already, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram. And he reigned for 12 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal, that is his, the one that his father had made. Nevertheless, verse 3, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from Moab, was a sheep breeder. And he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened that when Ahab died, that the king of Moab, if you remember his name, are you reading with me? What's the king of Moab's name? Mesha. He rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram or Jehoram went out of Samaria at the time, went out of Samaria, and he mustered all of Israel. Love that. And he went and he sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and he also says to this king, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me and fight against Moab? So Jehoshaphat says back to Jehoram, I will go up. I am as you are. My people are as your people. My horses as your horses. 
Verse 8, then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Love that. Verse 11 is so important. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha. Everyone say Elisha. The son of Shaphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah, meaning the one who served Elijah, the one, uh, the student of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Look what Elisha says. Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. He basically says, get out of here. He's kicking them out. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives, this is so good. Before, now imagine me reading this at five in the morning. Like imagine what this does to me as I'm reading this. Ready? As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not even look at you nor see you. So so amazing. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even be talking to you. What, a, what, a, what an insult. Verse 15, but now bring me, be, be useful. Bring me a musician, he tells him. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him, being Elisha, and he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Everyone say ditches. Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind. Everyone say not see. You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. No wind, no rain would you see. Yet, everyone say yet. Yet that valley shall be filled with water. Hope you're getting that. So that you, your cattle, your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter. The, the water in your ditches, this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. This is easy for me to do. Look what he says next. He will also, he doesn't just stop there, the Lord. He says, the Lord will also, look what he says next. Deliver the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack every fortified city, every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree, and stop every spring of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water and when the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border then they rose up and the sun was shining on the water 
And the Moabites saw the water on the other side, and it looked as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The three kings, they started to kill each other. (laughs) They struck swords. They've killed one another. Therefore, Moab, to the spoil. Let's go. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up, attacked the Moabites, and they fled before them. And they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Verse 25, then they destroyed the cities, and they stopped up all the springs of water, and they cut down all the good trees. But they left the stones of Kir Hareseth intact. However, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took, him, <clears throat> he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. This is amazing. Then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place. Look how demonic this is. If this is not straight from hell, what is this? And offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. Sacrificed his son for his own victory. Rather than being a good father and say, kill me and let my son live. All right, that's another preaching. That's on Father's Day. And, <laughs> and there was great indignation against Israel, so they departed from him, and they returned to their own land. The word of the Lord. Amen? So good. When we read this, I, I, I want you just to think about some of the stuff we just read here. It's, it's, um, it's an amazing story. I want to share a message. Write this down. You see it already on the screen. And my message is titled, Dig Your Ditches. Dig Your Ditches. And as I share this, I I wanted you to see this story. Because here's, first off, an example. Let's just break it down a little bit. Let's have some fun. Here's an example of business gone bad. Ahab, first off, is introduced as the king of Israel. And as Ahab is the king of Israel, during his reign, he and the king of Moab had this contract together. It says that King Misha regularly paid the king of Israel, if you remember, 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. A good business deal they had. Well... Ahab did something wrong. Let me explain to you a little bit what Ahab did. He didn't leave the business in order. He didn't leave it in the right place for his son so that when his son takes over the business, he didn't leave it and structure it correctly so that one day, just in case of an emergency, because life is not promised and tomorrow is not promised for anyone, that my son would be able to move forward in the business that I have. In Ahab's case, his emergency was, if you've ever learned or studied Ahab, he died in battle right after, right before this, sorry. So when his son, Jehoram, takes over, due to his father's death in battle, the king of Moab finds it as an opportune time to break from the contract. He says, well, Ahab's dead. I'm not scared of his son. His dad, I was scared of. Forget that. His mom, Jezebel, I was scared of. But this punk, I'm not scared of him. He breaks from the contract. 
And now this new king, the son of Ahab, Jehoram himself, finds himself dealing with one of his first major issues as a king. And he's so worried about this issue. He's so anxious about this whole ordeal that in the beginning of what we read, it says he travels to Samaria and he travels all throughout Israel. And did you read the scripture and what it said? It said that he began to muster everyone up. He lets everyone know what was done to him. And he begins to stir them up in anger so that they would fight for the cause as well. Definitely you're on my side. He's so desperate. He's so in need. He's so worried. He's so anxious that he goes and he sends message to the king of Judah, King Jehoshaphat. And he tells King Jehoshaphat, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. He broke his contract with my father. Look what he tells him. Will you go with me to fight against him? And the king of Judah, here, here he replies and he says, I will go up. And Jehoshaphat tells him, I am as you are. My people are as your people, and my horses are your horses. So far, you're with me? I'll take that as a no. I'll, let's read it one more time, the story. So we see three kings and four kings as Misha, and then we see a prophet, Elisha. But the two main characters in the beginning is Jehoshaphat and Jehoram. Jehoshaphat. There were two different kings. Jehoshaphat was a good king, Scripture tells us. He was a good king that feared and walked in the way of the Lord. Jehoram was not a good king. He was a, a bad king. He followed his father's footsteps, and he did evil, as Scripture tells us, in the sight of the Lord. This whole ordeal was like... I want you to read scripture like this, like read through the lines, read through the situations, look at everything that plays out. You just have like verses, but, but think about like conversations that happen deep within these verses that we don't know. So like I do that, I sit in my couch and I'm like, okay, like when they were drinking coffee, like how was that? When, when they were eating, like how was that? Like I just started thinking in modern day terms, you know? And this whole thing is so complex that it gets to the point, not Jehoram, Jehoshaphat, who had nothing to do with this. He was invited into the issue. You've ever been invited into an issue? How did, how did I get in this thing? And then you're like, thank God I'm in here because this guy has no idea what he's doing. So Jehoshaphat, who has no beef with Misha, beef means no problems. He says something amazing. Man of God says this. Ready? Watch this. Should we hear from the Lord on this matter? <laughs> what great advice. Jehoram is traveling all throughout Israel. All throughout Samaria. Come on, come on. Get your swords. Get your slings. Come on, come fight with me. Look what, look what the king of Edom has done to me. And Jehoshaphat says, I'll go with you. And he's looking at Jehoshaphat is looking at Jehoram and says, hey, have you considered hearing from God yet? Are you in a dilemma? 
Like, are you in an issue? Like, has something happened in your life recently? Can I give you some advice? Because I need to give it to myself, so I'm going to preach in front of a big mirror here for a moment. Ready? Have you considered to hear from God about this issue still yet? Have, Have you heard from the Lord? Have you heard from the Lord on this? I love what Jehoshaphat does. He advises that they should hear from the Lord on this matter. So the, so the prophet Elisha is now thrown into the mix. Right off the bat, Jehoram is a bad leader. You know why? Because he grabbed a little thing and he made it a bigger mess. He, he included everybody. But thank God, God is so good that God put the right people in his path to help him. So Elisha is recommended, and he's sent for, and he's like, hey, come, there are three kings that are asking for you. He's like, three, what? So Elisha comes, and I, the, man, scripture just is so much fun. I love his reply to the king of Israel. Who's the king of Israel? Pop quiz. The king of Israel, Jehoram. So Elisha replies to King Jehoram, the king of Israel, who he was not in favor for. And you could tell Elisha did not honor him as a king who was righteous before the Lord. And here is what Elisha says, what have I to do with you? Wow. Can you imagine being a man of God like you are and a woman of God like you are and someone comes up for advice because you are a woman of God and a man of God and you hold the prophecies of God in your heart? And when they come up to you, you look at them and you say, what do I have to do with you? That's exactly what Elisha does. And look what he tells him next. Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Leave me alone. Now you want me? Go to your daddy and your mommy's prophets. Now that was a powerful statement. Because if you remember, Ahab and Jezebel who were Jehoram's parents, they had their own prophets. They had their own people in their ear that told them always what they wanted to hear. Yes or no? You might have forgot that Elisha's predecessor was Elijah. And Elijah famously called out Ahab and Jezebel's famous prophets in their ears. As a matter of fact, Scripture says they had 450 prophets. And and Elijah says, bring all your prophets, for I alone am the only prophet of God left. And he says, meet me in Mount Carmel. Do you remember that story? It's the one where the fire of God licks up the altar. If you've been to Israel with us, we've stood right on that mountain where the fire of God fell. And we stood there and we said, this is where, look up, this is where fire fell on this mountain. So Elijah is that person, and he calls out 450 prophets who worshipped Baal to the battle. I called it a battle because I, I like hip-hop in my mind, so everything for me is like competition, and so I, I love like when rappers used to battle each other. So this was a battle between gods. You bring your sacrifice, I bring my sacrifice, and we see who the true and living God is. 
So Elisha knows this story very well. Elisha knows his mentor, Elijah. Elisha knows Jerome's parents, Ahab and Jezebel. And he says, what do you and me have to do talking together? Go call your famous prophets again. Don't come to the prophet of God. Verse 14, Elisha says this. He's not done talking. Elisha tells the king of Israel, as the Lord of hosts lives before... Before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. So what is the prophet Elisha saying? He's saying the only reason you even have a chance to have a conversation with me is because of the man that's there. He's worthy, but you, if you were alone, I wouldn't even look at you. But that king I'll honor So because he's present with you, I'll listen to what you all have to say. Elijah honored the fact that Jehoshaphat was present and that that right there he would hear and speak to them on the Lord's behalf. So let's get back into this story here because now it's going to get really good. Why did these three kings present themselves before the prophet of God, Elisha. Does anyone know? Let, let's go ahead, let's go ahead and, and let's ask. Anyone remember as we read through it? Why did these three kings come speak to Elisha and say we need some help? Do you remember what it was? What happened? They're going to go against Moab, she says. Look what Moab, look at these Moabites, the king of Moab, what he's done. Okay, anyone else? They want to hear from God. Jehoshaphat says it's here from the Lord. All right. Who said that? They had no water. That was a problem, right? Where were they located? Do you remember where they were located? In a valley. They were located in a valley, in a valley where there was no water. Going up to Edom to fight this king that broke contract with them, but they have animals and horses and soldiers and there's no water. So they go up to the prophet Elisha. Verse 9 says, here's the issue. The king of Israel goes to the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched, it says in verse 9, and they marched round about seven days. Everyone say seven days. Yeah. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. The horses, the army, the, 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 no one had water, and they had been there already for seven days marching. They're, they're exhausted. They're dehydrated. They're collapsing. They're going to die without water. Do you understand me? It's not a good thing to be without water. Food, you can fast. Fast for 40 days if you want. Water, you can't do that. Don't fast water for 40 days. You won't even make it to 40 Robert, how many days will you make it to, doctor? A week. It's always good to to ask a physician so you're not wrong. (laughs) But a week. You might make it. Seven days. Wait a minute. So they're right at the brink of, we're in our last, like that's it. They're, They're coming to an end. They're at a week's notice of they're going to collapse. Maybe... Uh, Rob, maybe some of them have already started to collapse and the situation has gotten so dire that I have men dying and I'm losing men for war. There's seven days marching here. You're with me, right? There's so much going on. There's no water on their quest to fight this king, Misha of Moab. 
It's not going to end well for Jehoram and Jehoshaphat. It's not a good situation for them. Their animals and their horses would die. I, I started to think about this. I said, that's like having war tanks and Humvees and helicopters. And then you're like, oh my God, we have no gas. And like, you didn't think about that before war? They're going to attack you now. You're all going to die. And, and it's this equivalent. It's like we have no gas to put into our vehicles. And the soldiers now, we're all going to die as well without water. Listen, <clears throat> I can't explain this. I, I fall short of words, but they are in dire need. And I started to think about this and I said, my God, is this not relatable to many of our lives? Is this not relatable to many churches and really anyone who walks in the faith? How can this relate to you? Ask yourself this question. How does it relate to you? <clears throat> Maybe you have an opposition. Maybe there's an obstacle to be confronted. Maybe there's a goal that needs to be met. Maybe there's something to be completed and it may be before you, it may be before us, even as a church. We have this goal, we have this thing we have to complete. We have this vision, we have this end game. We want to do great things for the kingdom of God. We want to be victorious, we want to stand on mountains, we want to conquer, we want to be more than conquer. I mean, have you been there? You've ever been so visioned out that you're ready to run through walls? And after you say that, you say, but, it's like, it's like the children of Israel, but there's giants in the land. Like the leaders, you know? And then Joshua and Caleb's like, give us those giants. Or it's like them that are in the valley and they're like, but we have no water. We're going to conquer them. We're going to beat this army, but there's no water. There, there's this thing maybe that the Lord is calling us to, that the Lord is calling you to, but to get there, there's this obstruction and it's making it really hard to get there. And like, what, why can't I break it? What's going on? So desperate is this matter. So desperate is Jeroboam that he goes to the length of speaking to the man that his mother and father despised. They despised Elisha, and you know that they would despise his servant and his student, Elisha. And the Lord speaks through the prophet Elisha. Listen to verses 15 to 19. He says, bring me a musician. I almost want to call someone up here and say, start singing. Start singing. He says, then it happened that when the musician played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, this is what the Lord says, make this valley full of ditches. It's almost like, like he, he just walked up to him and says, this is what the, this is what the Lord says. Start digging your ditches. He starts throwing shovels at everyone, you know. Start digging ditches. He tells them that. Make the valley full of ditches, he says. And then he goes on and he says this. For the Lord says, you shall not see the wind nor see the rain. But everyone said this together a little while ago. Yet, that valley shall be filled with water. So that your cattle, your animals, and yes, your soldiers, so that they would drink. And this is just a simple thing. This is easy for the Lord. Look what he says next. He says, he will 
also, look what he says, he will also deliver the Moabites into your hand and you will attack every fortified city, every choice city, cut down every good tree, stop every spring of water, ruin every good piece of land with stones. Come on, church, did you just hear what the Lord just said? He, he stops them in their confusion, in their anxiety and worry and stress because they're about to die. And what the Lord tells them is, dig your ditches all throughout this valley. Start digging your ditches. Now, your king Jehoshaphat, your king Jehoram, I forgot the king of Edom, forgot his name, whatever. You're all those three kings. And, and Elisha comes up to you and he says, you want the Lord to do something, start digging. Maybe if, if you're honest with yourself and I'm Jehoshaphat, I would have been like, Maybe Elisha's lost it a little bit. Maybe I, I gave the wrong advice. Maybe we shouldn't have gone to the man of God. Because we're talking about going to war. We're talking about people dying because there's no water. And this guy wants me to dig ditches. I'm not here to dig ditches. I'm here to win a war. I want you to see... How complex this advice was. How funny this advice is. Imagine you come to a counseling session and it's like, I, I feel like I'm dying. I'm, I'm, there's no water. The tank is empty. And the counselor, therapist, pastor looks at you and says, go to your backyard. Here's a, here's a shovel. And when you get home today, just make holes all over your backyard. I'm, I'm not giving money to you no more. Like, I'm not coming back to see you. Make holes? Make ditches? Dig ditches all over my backyard? That's, my, that's the advice? He says, yeah. And as you dig ditches, you're not going to see rain. For your water, you're not going to hear any wind or any storm coming for your water. Just what you need to do is you need to dig ditches all throughout this valley. I like that, I like that the word says there was a valley because a valley can signify all sorts of things. You've ever been part of a church that's gone through a season of valleys? I'm glad that one person in this church has gone through, has been in a church that has gone through seasons of valleys. You've ever walked long enough with the Lord that you've been in seasons of valleys? I have a vision for me and I have a vision for you and I have a vision for this church. But I will tell you that no valley should ever, will ever cease the vision from continuing. Valleys are just part of our lives. And valleys can signify all kinds of stuff. If I were to ask you today, what are some valleys in your lives? You, could say, you would say it's a hard place. Maybe you would get very personal. Maybe I, I don't want to do that today, but it could signify a hard place, a difficult place, a dry place, a broken place could be a valley. A hurtful place could also be a valley. A valley is a place of need. And in this valley, I'm going to call it something. Ready? Because I feel like this is what the kings were. In the valley of despair, for these three kings and their armies, the Lord being the Lord, he says, dig your ditches. You see, because maybe you haven't been in the valley. Because I've been in the valley. And the last thing I want to do is spend my energy digging ditches when I'm in a valley. 
When I'm in valley sometimes, all I want to do is stay in my bed and cry all night. Hey, Nest Church, you've ever been in a valley? You just wanted to stay in bed? Not move forward with what God's called us and commissioned us to? Making sure that these walls speak. The Lord says, Rigo, I know you're in a valley. But um, um, I don't know how to say this to you, son. Get up and dig ditches. Even if you're crying, dig the ditches. Even if it's painful, dig the ditches. Even if you don't understand how it's going to happen, just be faithful and dig your ditches. Because that's what I'm calling you to. You're called. Your vision, your future, the only hope that your church, that you pastor has, and the only hope that you have as my son is continue to be faithful to my word and be faithful to what I've called you to. And though you think it may be foolish this season that you're in, in the valleys that you might find yourself in during this walk that we're in, who cares? You do what you're called to do and do it well. And if you're called to be a ditch digger, if you're here for 930 Huddle, you know what I'm talking about. That's why you got to come to 930 Huddle. If you were called to be a a ditch digger, then you be the best ditch digger there is. And you get dirty digging ditches, and you get smelly digging ditches. I, I don't know about you, I haven't lifted up one soil, one concrete yet, and my left bicep is already on fire. <laughs> All right? Sorry, Yard. But <laughs> it's already painful. And the Lord says it's going to get painful. And however painful it gets, you keep on digging the ditch. And you keep on making holes in the valley. Because that valley, one day, you're not going to see the rain. You're not going to see the wind. You're not going to hear it fall. You're not going to hear it blow. But you're going to walk outside of your house one day. And when you open up that door and you remain faithful digging your ditch, I promise you, my son, that your faithfulness will reveal and you will see my faithfulness. And there will be a day when you're going to want to let go of that shovel because serving God's people is too hard. And walking alongside in goodness may be difficult for you. And there might be times that you don't want to be holy. And there might be times that you want to just let it all go. But you keep digging your ditches because any day now when you open up the door the ditches will be full of water and the provision for you will be there you stay faithful digging your ditch don't stop digging you just you just keep on digging your ditch You keep on digging. What's my future? I love that Kevin came up here and says, whatever God wants for me, he's right. He's just got to keep on digging his ditch. What does the future look like? What is the vision? Well, this is how we'll start. This is how we continue. We dig. Our responsibility is to dig. We can't bring the rain. 
nor can we bring the wind. These churches and these people that promise you the rain and the ring and the, and the wind, and the, and the ring too for every single of you. But these people that, that promise you all these things, they can't promise you anything that only God can promise you. You run from people like that. All I could promise you is keep digging. And what? I don't know. Maybe there'll be water one day. But you're faithful in the digging. Oh, but I just want my platform. Oh, but I just want my prayer answered. And we go and we search for things in all these different places. But have you learned the joy of having blisters and biceps on fire and backs that are broken, heads that are on fire from sun day in and day out? Have you learned the pleasure of saying, my pain is because I'm faithful to his word and I find joy in suffering for him if that's what it takes? I keep digging ditches, man. I keep digging ditches. I keep digging ditches. And I know that the Lord is my provider. Here's some points for you because we've already gone over it. The Lord wants to see if you're willing to dig your ditch. If you're willing to dig your ditch at his word, even when you don't see the provision. Have you ever been there? Come on, let's be honest because we're just an honest church today. Have you ever dug... And you're like, you know what? I've been digging for 10 years and I'm done here because I haven't seen God provide. Well, I don't know what to tell you, but the Lord is telling us to dig ditches even when you don't see the provision because he says says to them, he says, you're not going to see the rain nor will you see the rain, the wind. But you, you keep digging. You keep digging. What am I trying to say in this first point? You do the work even when you don't see the provision. Amen? I know, I know 80% of you don't like it. But it's good, I promise you. This is, good. this is the good word. The Lord wants to show that, listen to this, this is a good one. That every person is responsible to dig. What's the future of Nest? Well, here, here's the future of Nest, ready? Uh, it, it, I, I found out, my, Nancy reminded me, it's, um, it's not summertime no more, so I couldn't find enough shovels. I was going to pass out shovels to everyone. You're all going to walk out with your own shovel. Your own plastic shovel. So I have to preach this message again in the summer so you could all walk out with your own plastic shovel and hang it on your door, on your, on your car. So when someone gets it, why do you have a shovel in your car? Like, well, I'm digging ditches. Let me tell you a story. All right, watch this. So thank the seasons that there was only 14 left in the stores. Here it is. The Lord wants to show us that every person is responsible to dig. It does not fall on one person. But who is Elisha talking to? Jehoram, Jehoshaphat, I'm telling everyone needs to dig ditches all throughout the valley. It doesn't fall on one person, but even the kings, the whole camp digs, knowing that they're faithfully doing what the Lord has called them to. So you might be sitting here like, Pastor, but let me ask you a question. Are you going to dig with us? You, what? Yeah, I almost brought you your shovel. We're all going to dig together. We're all called to this calling of digging. Not only that, here's another point, kind of already said it, wording it a little bit differently. The Lord wants us to be faithful. The Lord wants us to work. Hear this. He wants us to do our part, our part. Why do our part? Because he's faithful and he always, he will always do his part. 
He always does his part. So all I could tell you, Nest family, friends, dig your ditch. Dig your ditch. And though you don't see the wind, and though you don't see the rain, the Lord through the prophet says this, yet, everyone say yet, the valley will be filled with water. Why, is the, why will the valley be filled with water? Because you were faithful to dig. Your digging is going to give the soldiers water. Your digging is going to give the animals and the horses water. Your digging is going to be a blessing for your life. But your digging is going to also be a blessing for those that fight alongside you. Church, I hope you could get this. And I hope you write this on your hand, on your arm, write it on your neck, whatever you want to do. Dig your ditch. Amen? Not only that, Elisha said, I love this. Elisha says, not only that, um, I have more to tell you, he says. I'm going to wrap this up in a moment. He says, I know you just um, asked for water, and you're just praying for water. But, but I'll also be faithful to deliver to you the things that you haven't even asked for yet. Well, what does the prophet say? Water? You're worried about water? Water? Well, that's an easy matter. Look what the prophet says. Water? You're asking for water? At our nest lately, we're asking for a building. Maybe that's our water. I don't know. Pray into it. Let me know if you get a revelation. I don't know. That's it. Water? That's easy. Water is easy. I can provide the water for you. But look what he says next. This is a simple matter, verse 18, in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Come on. So Nest, not only will I provide in your valley, but I'm also able to confirm that I will deliver your victories in the future. And that's a powerful place to be. Stay faithful in the valley because he is faithful in the victories that are before us in the future. So what do you do? You do what you're called to. You don't stop. You know what, Tito? This is, this is going to be fun. Someone's going to either get hurt, and hopefully our insurance will cover it. So try not to get hurt. Sit down. Just sit down with that shovel. That shovel looks good on him. Does. Let's pass that shovel along the room. Every person touch that shovel. Yeah, and don't forget the first roll. Everyone's gonna touch that shovel today. I was at a as that shovel goes, I want I want to share something. So <laughs> you can you can sit down, don't pass it. And when you touch that shovel, confirm to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm going to dig my ditches. Say that to yourself. <laughs> Say, I'm going to dig my ditches as I touch this shovel. I'm going to do what you're called me to do, and I'm going to do it faithfully. As I touch this shovel, Lord, I'm going to dig ditches. One time I was in a room full of pastors. Listen to the story. And it was a pastor during the height of the pandemic, and everyone was very, very prophetic and very spiritual. And they brought this big wooden stick, and they called it the staff of prayer. And I said, Okay. And one of the pastors tells a running mate, he says, touch this staff of prayer. And he held it, he goes, 
It's the first time it leaves my office. But every time we pray, we pray over this. We pray with our hands on the staff. And I'm looking at the whole situation. And they're like, put both hands on it. We're going to pray over you. And the Lord says today that you will be the next mayor of the city that he was running for. I don't want you to come to a conclusion of who we're talking about. And I'm standing in the back, and they start to ask pastors to start praying for the mayor. And when that happens, I start to do one of these things. I'm like, I don't think I have a word for the Lord for the mayor, because I haven't heard from God that he's going to become the next mayor. So I couldn't do that because of the emotion in the room. But I started to think about the staff that was going around. And I said, oh, my God, that staff has a special power to them, when in reality it doesn't. What they should have done is they should have allowed the hand of God just to fall on them and stop worrying about their hands coming on a piece of wood that if I put lighter fuel into it and fire, it's going to burn. And they began to idolize this thing. I'm not asking you to idolize the shovel today. <laughs> the whole story was to tell you that I'm not telling you that there's even anything special about that shovel. Actually, that shovel was used yesterday, and it was used wrong just so that you could know from the person that owns the shovel so that shovel has nothing holy. <laughs> it did a bad job yesterday. <laughs> but the truth is, it's the person that holds the shovel. And as you touch that shovel, I want you to come to grips with the reality of, Lord, spiritually, I'm going to put the shovel in my hand. And Lord, I'm going to dig the ditch that is needed in my family, for the faith. Lord, I'm going to dig my ditch for this church. And I'm not going to stop digging ditches. So here's the vision. Ready? Maybe uh, we were going to call it 2015 or 15 year. But it's our dig. It's our ditch digging year as well. Next year and throughout the next years to come, this is going to be a church that is not going to take their eyes from continuing. Bring it back up here. Gaston, when you're done with everyone there, bring it back up here. That's going to continue to dig ditches. Amen. Everyone touched it? My prayer warrior in the back touched it. Amen. Your slang, it looks good on you. Your slang's like, I'd rather have a rifle. All right, here we go. So what are we called to? I'm going to end. This is what I'm called to. You do what you're called to. And you don't stop doing what you're called to. You don't get discouraged. And my God, does it hurt sometimes? And does it cause my hands and my body and to hurt? You don't find other things too? You know what? Maybe I'll go inside and make some lemonade. The Lord's like, God didn't make you to make lemonade. God made you to dig ditches. I can tell you as your pastor, you do it, and you dig, you dig. Even when digging seems useless, you dig. You stay faithful to what you need to do, and you trust that the Lord says, I am faithful to do what I need to do. And God is not asking you for, for you to do more than you're able to do. Have you ever noticed that? Digging ditches is something that we can all do. You don't need a degree to dig a ditch. You don't need to be a doctor to dig a ditch. You don't need to be a pastor to dig a ditch. You don't need to be a teacher to dig a ditch. 
You don't, my son, believe it or not, Jackson, who is nine years old, who doesn't like to do much with his hands, at nine years old, that boy could grab a shovel and he too can also dig a ditch. What I mean is everyone is capable of digging ditches. And when God wants to prepare us for a blessing that he will bring, he wants us to do our part and he gives us the things that we're called to really do. And in this manner, when he does this, it becomes less about us. What are you, man of God? I see great exploits through you. You say, I'm just a ditch digger. <laughs> he is the water provider. And I am okay. Don't you ever call me the water provider. I'm just next to you. And I'm just digging ditches next to you. We come together and we glorify the one who gives water. And his name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Ditch diggers! It's time to rise up. And when they ask, what's the secret? How did you do it? How are you doing it? How did you get through that? How are you doing it? How's your family doing it? How is Nest Church doing it? Your answer is, all I did, all we did is dig and we dug for however long, and he brought the water. So church, you put the work even while you don't see the provision. This is what I end with. I wanted to go through a million examples. But Naaman, in the Old Testament, he says, dip yourself seven times in the water. Ridiculous. But he told him to dip. And on the seventh dip, he was healed from leprosy. Uh, um, Joshua, watch this. What Joshua could have done in what God could have done in one day, he took seven days. He says, Joshua, this is what I want you to do. I have a great solution for the walls of Jericho. Ready? I want you to march one lap for six days. Six days. Six days. And then on the seventh day, what I want you to do is one more lap, right? No, no, no. You're going to do seven laps on the seven days. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That's like 13 laps, God. Right. You know, on the seventh day, that's when we're going to be the most tired. And on the day that I'm most tired is the day that you're telling me to march the hardest. You're telling me to keep on marching on a day when I've marched all my other days. And then you're telling me to outdo all the other marches by multiplying it by seven. So seven marches. You want me to do on the seven days? Says, yeah, do it. Let's see what happens. You and I know the God of the Bible. He could have done it without the first march. He could have said, wink. At the count of three, everyone wink. <laughs> and the walls of Jericho will come down. And Joshua's like, I like that one. Priest, blow the trumpet. Men and women, wink at the wall. One, two, three. Boo! Everyone winks and the walls could have But no. God told Naaman, Dip yourself seven times. Why not once? I know all you people that are into numerology because seven is the number of completion. I could give you a bunch of other sevens that God didn't complete. But he told them seven times. <laughs> and then he told them six times. And on the seventh time, seventh day, do it seven more times. Like, why? I could have done it one time. And there's stories like this all over the Bible. There's stories of will you be faithful with what I ask you to do even when you don't see the provision, even when you don't see the miracle. Will you continue to be faithful because God's word said it and God's word is enough for me. <laughs> you know what he
he told Moses? It doesn't get any more foolish than this. Stand in front of the Red Sea and lift up your staff. You're liars. Because I've done that. I've stood before the water. And it, and it hasn't happened to me. But he told Moses, just do it. And I'm wondering if God's like, hey, guys, let's see if he does it. Jesus is up there like, Father, you think he'll do it? He's like, yeah, I made him. I know he'll do it. I'm sovereign. But it's fun. Let's just see. What do you guys think? And Moses stands before with the enemies behind him. He's like, whatever. He told me to do it. I mean, if I was God, I would have left him there for a few seconds. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you lied to me. And then just wink at him. Just kidding. He told Moses to lift up his staff. He told Naaman to dip himself seven times. He told Joshua six times, one lap, seventh day, seven laps. You probably know right now, as I'm saying this, many other stories. Oh, yeah? Have you thought about this one? Have you thought about this one? Have you thought about that one? You want me to tell you the craziest one? I, I'm done. You want me to tell you the craziest ask of God? You want me to tell you the, what, what God said that was the craziest thing that he ever did? No, I really want to know. If not, I'm going to close up in prayer. He told Naaman to dip himself seven times. He told Joshua to march six days, six times, seventh day, seven times. He told Moses to lift up a staff. That's funny. Here's his greatest one. Jesus. Take the cross. Take the cross. The cross. Yeah. I dare you. Take the cross. And Jesus comes to earth. Takes the cross. He's digging his ditch. Jesus is digging his ditch. Takes the cross. When he looks down at his feet, oh, he took his cross. He dug his ditch. For sure, there's millions of people at his feet. Who was at the feet of Jesus when he was digging his cross? Mary, John, the person maybe they didn't talk about. Two, three people? Jesus was on the cross. And as he was on the cross, what was surrounding him were his enemies. Mocking him, spitting on him, his beard is ripped off, his back is open wide. And the only one at his feet crying is the one he loved and his mother 
And you could say, what does that mean? But what it means is, he's faithful to dig his ditch. Do you know that on the cross, Jesus didn't see the rain? Do you know that Jesus didn't hear the wind? All he saw was his body and the mockery of his enemies. And then he breathed his last breath and he said these words, it is finished. But because he digged his ditch and he took on his work, the Lord brought forth his reign. And today you and I, you and I are at the feet of the cross today. We weren't there 2,000 years ago. But because he was faithful 2,000 years ago, because God's outside of time, we're in time. Now today, you and I, when Jesus looks, he says, now I see them at my feet. I see the rain from the ditch that I dug. And today, multitudes are at my feet because of the cross that I was raised up upon. I can't say anything else to you but to tell you to dig your ditch and the Lord will provide what is needed for his kingdom in due time. So if you don't see the rain and you don't see the wind, you keep digging your ditch because the provision comes from the Lord anyways. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for its leaders. I pray for its members. I pray for everyone who serves. I pray for myself. So often I'm so self-entitled. So often it's all about me. Oh my God, are you showing us it's not about you. It's about you and everyone else that's willing to dig ditches. And be faithful to my word and trust that I come and I will provide what's needed. I pray, Lord God, that this would be a church and a people that would never stop digging ditches. That our valleys would be filled with holes and that we would look up to the heaven that we would look up to the hills from the valley of where our help comes from and that we would know there is where the rain comes. There is where the, the supplier of those ditches to be filled would come. So, Lord, the future of this church is bright. The future of this church is alive. The future of this church is ridden. And it's to continue to dig ditches because the Lord will be faithful to continue to fill them with water. So give us strength Give us hope. Give us unity. Let us fight off discouragement. Let us fight off quarrels and bickerings and stupidity, divisions. Let us put on the armor of God united, dig ditches, open our doors, and to rejoice with the water that God brings. Lord, we love you and we thank you for lifting up in this age a bunch of ditch diggers like us that would bring the room as our Code says, all we could do is set the stage for you to stand on it and say you could take the platform and be glorified. We set the stage. We dig ditches so that you could be glorified and fill it up with overflowing water. Rivers of living water that will bubble up and that would give life to many. That's the future of this nest. We go forward because water, that's just a little to ask. For not only there do you stop, but the victories, Lord God, and the battles of the future, 
Those victories are yours and are ours in you already. And they're yes and amen. And we thank you for that as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And together we say, amen. Come on, give him some praise. He's worthy.